really the blood of George Floyd is on our hands because we failed to organize our community oh. in such a way. Oh. In such a way. In My Head with Jay Blessed is a transparent look into the life and mind of a Caribbean woman having human experiences. Get into my mind as I share my most vulnerable thoughts and honest experiences. I'll take you on a roller coaster of emotions as you get to know someone who might share similar experiences with you. Some might make you speechless, you'll definitely laugh. Others might make you angry and some might even make you cry. But my very real, very raw, very relatable weekly podcast will always keep you coming back for more. Join me as I talk to myself, talk to you, and even talk to some special friends in my head. (laughs) In my head is an introspective look from a voyeuristic point of view. For a list of all my social channels and how you can connect with me, please view this episode's summary. To join in on the conversation, use the hashtag HeadWithJB. That's H-E-A-D. W-I-T-H-J-B. And follow me on Instagram at RealJBlessed and Twitter at JBlessed. Let's get in on the conversation together. Don't forget to log on to my official website, JBlessed.com. A human experience from a Caribbean perspective. Bonus episode number three. Black People are exhausted. A discussion on race, mental health, and black power with Senator Kevin Parker. In my head. Hey fam, I'm not even going to front. I'm not even going to add. I'm not even going to be, you know, like as exuberant as I normally am when I greet you. I'm not even going to pretend to be okay. I'm not okay. I am not okay. I'm not. I'm not. You know, the images plastered all over social media is enough to be, you know, just, I'm grief stricken by those trauma inducing videos of constantly seeing black men killed at the hands of people that we pay to protect and serve us. I'm not going to stay too long on the intro, but just wanted to alert you that if you didn't know by now, the Minneapolis police officer, Derek Chauvin, who was caught on camera with his knee in George Floyd's neck, who by his actions sparked protest and rioting and civil unrest across Minnesota and across this country, He has since been arrested four days later, charged with third-degree murder and manslaughter. That does nothing to comfort me or millions of Black people across this country and across this world. That arrest means nothing. Four days later, it's a slap in the face, as with many other arrests of police officers after they've killed us. You know, I came across a tweet from former In My Head guest, criminal attorney Midwin Charles, who you can hear on episode 32. She tweeted this quote on May 29th, 
Nine minutes with your knee on someone's neck while your hands are in your pockets is intent to kill. The charge should be first degree murder. I'm not going to stay too long in this intro because there is so much to discuss and unpack and for you to really sit with in this episode. Thank you so much again to Senator Parker for just jumping on this just immediately when I I reached out. And um, yeah, I'm not going to stay too long here. Let's get into that. This is bonus episode three. Black people are exhausted. In In my head fam, Birds, help me welcome to the show none other than Senator Kevin Parker. Hey, Senator. Hey, Jay. How you doing? Truthfully, I am mentally exhausted. How you, you, how you feeling? I'm, I'm mostly good. Fighting a good fight. Fighting a good fight. Thank you for the work that you're doing in our communities. Uh, the work you have been doing for all these years. And I needed to have you on the podcast for a special episode because I have been feeling really, really grief stricken. And um, I wanted to talk to someone that I knew could help me tackle some questions or answer some questions as I tackle these issues, right? And um, you were the one that came to mind. How about that? Okay. <laughs> Uh, Senator Kevin Parker, um, let's talk about COVID first. As we know, there have been over 16,000 deaths in New York City and counting. Um, right here in your community in Brooklyn, in, your 20, in the 21st uh, Senatorial District, I'm sure you've experienced thousands of deaths there. When do you think New York City will be reopened? How about that? Yeah, it's a lot. Um, so first, let me just um, thank you for having me on. And thank you for the work that you've been doing. You certainly you know, have been um, covering this and talking about some really important things. Um, as you know, I represent the 21st District in Brooklyn, which is part of Canarsie and part of Flatlands. But it's principally Flatbush and East Flatbush, Midwood, Dittmas Park, Windsor Terrace, um, um, and Park Slope, um, about 318,000 people. So in the Senate, I'm the chairman of the Energy and Telecommunications Committee, as well as the majority whip in the Senate. Um, and so, you know, when this hit, when, when COVID hit and we did the, the stay-at-home order, um, like the first week in March, uh, you know, we were still in the middle of the legislative session. And so it's been, you know, you know, kind of a whirlwind of both still trying to do legislative work and still simultaneously do what was happening at home. And as you indicated, um, Black and Latinx communities have been, you know, ground zero um, for this pandemic, unfortunately, and places like Brooklyn, the Bronx, and Queens um, have seen disproportionate amounts of people dying, not just in the context of the U.S., but in the context of the world. Um, and, and two of the zip codes in my district, 11203 and 11226, are two of the highest zip codes in the entire nation um, for COVID deaths. Um, and so um, our hospitals have been overwhelmed, places like Brookdale, Kingsbrook Jewish Medical Center, uh, downstate Kings County um, have all been um, overwhelmed with the number of patients coming in um, and, and dealing with this. And so, um, one, one to just let your listeners know that my thoughts and prayers 
or with people who've lost uh, members of their family and their friends. Um, I've lost some, 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 a few good friends and um, uh, a bunch of mentors, including Roy Hastick, who ran the Caribbean American Chamber of Commerce and Industry, um, who I've known for 30 years. And I used to intern for uh, when I first you know, came into politics. Uh, and so it's been quite you know, uh, devastating. And so we're, we're really right now trying to figure out how to walk into gum at the same time. Because New York is in the midst of its reopening you know, plan, which is kind of a four-phase plan. Um, but simultaneously, we're still in the midst of this. Um, we still had over 50 people die yesterday um, of COVID. We're still, you know, over um, 200 people um, showing up every day, um, you know, to hospitals, saying, you know, new cases of people with COVID-19. And so, um, you know, I want people to just understand as we start to reopen that the emergency and the pandemic is not over. It's far from over. Um, but we have, thankfully, um, you know, bent the curve enough that we have been able to uh, start thinking about reopening. That being said is, the short answer is, um, we begin phase one of reopening June 1st. We will probably be fully opened um, around June 15th if things go well. So I know that uh, the governor recently um, put into place the New York Forward Reopening Advisory Committee. And there are uh, a number of big names on that committee, including um, Danny Myers, um, Sabrina Hosom Jordan. Um, there are a bunch of people that are Caribbean and non-Caribbean, right? Um, as, as we prepare to reopen New York City, New York State, it's warm outside, right? <laughs> We're getting ready for summer and I'm, I'm outside and people are not wearing masks. Um, and, and it's just like normal right now for a lot of people. And that's kind of scary. And to hear the date of June 1st, June 15th, knowing that fall will be right around the corner and fall is typically flu season. So right. I'm scared. Can I just say that? Yeah, yeah, you should be. Look, I think, I think there's a couple of things that, that people should, you know, kind of pay attention to. Um, and I always like try to push facts over fear, right? And so the thir- first thing that people should understand and know is that 80% of the people who are going to contract COVID-19 are going to self-resolve or be asymptomatic, right? And so that means that most of, most of the people who get this are going to be fine. Right? They're going to get sick, they're going to have symptoms, they're going to cough, they're going to feel bad for a few days, a week, two weeks, but they're going to get better than not, you know. And, you know. But there is a very large number of people who have pre-existing health conditions, people who are overweight, people who have diabetes, people who have um, compromised immune systems, people with comorbidities, who may wind up, um, you know, in the hospital, may wind up on a respirator, you know, those people, you know, could wind up passing away. And so it's, you know, and so people have to be careful. And so there's a couple of, of, of um, um, different dynamics, right? And it's, I want to kind of speak to two things that, you, that I, heard, I thought I heard you were speaking to. The first of which is that there is on the city level a, um, organ, a, a group that the, that, the, that the mayor have put together. It's a very, very diverse group. One of the people from Brooklyn is a very good friend of mine, Jennifer Jones Austin, who runs um, you know, the Federation of Protestant Welfare Agency is a large 
social service anti-poverty organization who's been working with many of our communities for a very long time and is very, very good. Um, not on the committee, but also handling some of the transition out of the, the mayor's administration is Greg Bishop, um, who's a good friend of mine, and I know you know Greg, yeah. who's the former commissioner of the, the New York City um, Small Business. Department, right, um, the, the Department of Small Business Services. He has now moved into a role of essentially being the um, small business. The, uh, yeah, new, his new title is, is senior advisor, but essentially he's the czar for small businesses in the COVID crisis. Um, right. And then John Nell Doris, um, who's Haitian, is now the new commissioner of SBS. And so we have some people on the entrepreneur end who come out of our community, who know what our needs are, and who have been dedicated to dealing with the issues of women and minority business development. So I feel very comfortable when I look at the formations that the government, that, sorry, the mayor has put together, that is representative and there's people on there that we have connections with who I think are looking out for our best interests. So that's the first part. The second thing is in the context of people being concerned. And so, again, 80% of the people who are going to uh, contract COVID are going to self-resolve and or be asymptomatic, right? Um, and so, the, and so the, the worry is that that this is not an automatic death sentence. But there is, it is a very, very, very serious um, virus and serious disease for, for many people who are going to get it. And so we should all continue to, you know, as we relax the stay-at-home order, and this is the important part, we're relaxing the stay-at-home order, but we are not relaxing social distancing. And so people need to understand that they have to continue to socially distance, wear masks, wear gloves, wear glasses, um, you know, be careful about what you touch, use hand sanitizer, don't touch your face when you're out, you know, be careful with your phone, right, um, so that they're not passing on on the, uh, the, the disease. The thing I've been saying to people most, though, Jay, is that, you know, people are doing the most when it comes to, like, their packages and their groceries and they're taking their groceries and sitting them in the corner and they washing them down and all sorts of stuff. Look, the vast majority of people, right, are not catching this disease from, a, from an Amazon box or from a, 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 a box of Uncle Ben's rice, right. right? That's not really where they're getting this from. People who are catching this virus are catching it from other people. And so when you catch it is you out with your friend or you're like, oh, this is my friend, I know them, but you don't know what their COVID status is. Right. And you may think that you know, but you don't know. And you out and y'all chilling and y'all partying and y'all each other's face, right? right? And that's who you get it from. Right, because your friend has it, and your friend may be asymptomatic, which means they show no symptoms, mm-hmm. and then they may be spreading it. And in fact, what we're seeing from the studies is that people who are people who catch it right before they become symptomatic are more uh, contagious than they are when they are symptomatic. Mm-hmm. And so, people are spreading this thing, and they don't even know they're spreading it. And that's why it's like everybody needs to wear a mask when they're out and continue to socially distance. And so, you know, between now and the time that we get a functional um, vaccine, people need to chill, right? Like, ain't no, you know, <laughs> you know, ain't no more VIP. <laughs> I needed that laugh. <laughs> you got jokes. Oh. Be, you know, no more fats. 
Okay, stop. <laughs> so it's it's funny how you mentioned how people are going ape shit crazy over sanitizing down every you know tin can Amazon box, um, yes. and they're taking more precaution with their you know packages as opposed to their physical bodies because if people right. were to be so careful with their sexual health as they well, that's are. A thing too. Uh, that's a dumb thing. Okay, now. And, and some of the reports are coming out now that they're finding COVID in, in, semen? in semen. Right, right. Yeah. Oh, okay. I'll, and, I'll, what's the word and, that and, careful? And so, <laughs> and, and so, and so you can you absolutely can spread COVID through sex. Mm. Um, you know, and, and um, you know, it's it's just it's just a reality, right? And so people have to just be very very careful about how they're moving, um, and. You know, so, it's like I said, it's, human, it's that human contact that's going to give you the, the disease, not, you know, in an elevator or on a, a handrail, like things that people are, you know, people are scared to touch doorknobs and all this other stuff now. And like, you know, they're more careful with that. But meanwhile, they go to the door and take take a pizza delivery with no mask on from a person with no mask, right? Like, that's how you're going to get it, right? You, you're, or you're more likely to get it that way than you are likely to get it, uh get it from a package or something else you mentioned fats and um yes <laughs> so first of all i think Donald doris or Donald doris is actually guyanese and not haitian unless he's haitian guyanese maybe, maybe he is i don't know i mean i've been tripping i've been tripping him every he might be guy he probably is i've been putting him in every island he, he, he one of those people who like you know you He's such a good brother, you want to claim him, so you just you put him everywhere. Like, I've seen him, I've seen him, I've seen him. I've seen him. I think last time I saw him was at a Haitian event, so I just think I've been putting him to sleep. It's funny you said fats because, you know, from a Caribbean perspective, COVID has really affected our small businesses, you know, our mom and pop shops, our takeout businesses. Um, COVID has really affected our family members who most of them are essential workers, whether they are your delivery guy or they are your doctors or your nurses, right? Um, but but also, Labor Day is coming up really soon. And, um, you know, normally we have a lot of effects starting Memorial Weekend. I mean, there's effect every weekend, right? Um, right? But, you know, there has not been an official statement from the West Indian American Day Carnival Association that they will be canceling Labor Day Parade 2020. What are your thoughts on that? Well, my thought is that I'm expecting that um, WIACA is going to figure out how to do some some events virtually. They do, and first of all, you know, I've been working with WIACA a number, number of years, um, and it's a fantastic organization. We're talking about the largest parade in North America. But it's not just a parade, as you know, right? There's a lot of ancillary events. And, and my sense is, from talking to members of the board, is they're still trying to figure out what their schedule is going to look like. I don't see a dynamic where we have 2 million people on Eastern Parkway, you know, you know, stomping the road and pelting waste, right? Like, I don't think that that's what happens. Um, but I think that there may be a several events that they figure out how to do in a socially distanced way and maybe many virtually. And Do you think so, that's even um, possible, though? Seriously, I, I, I think there's some parts of it. I don't think. Again, I think a parade in the in the traditional way that we have seen, you know, have seen the parade and how we've seen mass 
is not going to happen. I mean, frankly, I would be surprised if they even have masks next year in Trinidad. You know, I, I would be very, very surprised if they bring people in from all over the world. But why do you think uh, it's taking so long for them to make a statement, especially when um, Notting Hill Carnival happens in August and, and and those people in London have already declared weeks ago, it's not happening, we've canceled well, it. Well, well, yeah, they, well, they may, I mean, they may have, you know, again, for them, I don't, I have never been to Notting Hill. I hear it's a great carnival. Um, like I said, I know there's a lot of other activities that go on around um, the Labor Day Parade here um, that that many of them are entertainment, but they're also scholarships and there's also, you know, teaching kids pan and, and so on. So there may be ways that they're working out and trying to figure out how to do some of these events, like I said, in a socially distanced way and a vir- in a virtual way. I, I do know I've had some conversations about doing some events virtually. Like I said, I don't see a dynamic in which we have a actual parade parade. Right. Um, but, you know, maybe some kind of event, some kind of set of activities that, you know, I think organizations are don't want to go dormant. Right. So I think that, that it's, you know, you don't want to we just walk up and be like, oh, we're just canceling it, just write us off. I think they, they still want to be engaged in the community. I think that the, the, the notion of carrying on Caribbean culture in the way that they have still becomes important. It's something where you can argue even more important in the context of what we're going into. And I think that folks are just trying to figure out, you know, kind of what's their lane. And I think that's a good segue into what, I'm, what, what my feeling is about um, small business, and, and you talked a, a, a bit about the fact that there's many small businesses, and small businesses are critical for our community, right? We have an economy that has moved from Wall Street to Main Street. You know, in my district, the, the Main Streets are Flatbush Avenue and Nostrand Avenue and Utica Avenue and, and Church Avenue. Uh, and, you know, they say that in black communities and, and Latinx communities that you're going to see 40% less return to business than you see even in white communities. Mm-hmm. And we're expecting their communities to be devastated. So that's going to be a real problem for us because the vast majority of our people work in small businesses. Right. Right? And so, uh, and when we talk about small small businesses, we're talking about less than 250 people in them. We're talking about less than a million dollars, you know, in revenue. And a lot of our businesses are even micro businesses. Right. And so, um, I think that the, that the challenge it is not going to be one of how do I get back to business. The challenge is going to be one of how do I operate in the new dynamic that COVID has, has given us. Right. So let's be let's be clear, Jay. There's, there's now a new normal. Three there's going to be well, yeah, a new normal a little bit, but it's going to be three periods that we're going to talk about. Right. There's going to be BC. Right. Right. Before COVID. Mm-hmm. Right. There's going to be DC during COVID. Right. Which we're still in. And then it's going to be AC after COVID. And then we don't get to after COVID until there's either a cure or a vaccine that's workable and is, and is, and is readily available to, to the community. So until we get to that, and again, that could be years. I mean, I know they're talking about nine months, but I don't think it's going to be nine months. So hold on right? a second. Uh-huh. We're talking about years just in terms of recovering, recovering from what we're presently dealing with, Right. The mental health aspect of all of this, if, you know, I'm a small business owner and I can't reopen my business or, I mean, even Pier One's Goods has been open for about 50 years, said it's not coming back when things are reopened. There are major companies and entities, forget being claiming bankruptcy, but are, are not coming back. Laid off workers, they're done, they're not opening back, far less for small businesses. Right. How does that affect our communities when you can't, generate revenue as you used to 
income is not coming in. You can't feed your family. Pantry lines are long as hell. I'm seeing people on pantry lines and I have to be so grateful. Like, God, thank you. I have food in my cupboard. Like, right. but, but I'm scared. So in terms of the years, hearing years. But, but, yeah, but, yeah, because, because, but, but I do think that things are going to get better, right? Like, again, we're still in the midst of, we're still in D.C., right, during COVID, right? right? So, like, COVID is still going on. We're still, we still haven't even fully reopened. Mm-hmm. And so some of those pantry lines will get shorter as we start, as the new economy stops adjusting. Right. And so I'm not disagreeing with you. I mean, I've heard some economists saying that it's going to be literally 10 years before we get back to uh, B.C. Right. Before the, you know, the economic situation before COVID. The good news about our economic situation is that we were in good, solid financial um, you know, footing when when the stay at home orders started and when and when we, uh, you know, started slowing down the economy. Right. Because the economy never stopped. It just slowed. It got slowed way down. Um, but it never stops. Could all this have been avoided? Really? Well, let let me, let me, let me come back to that. I really want to make this point that I think is important, which is that, you know, money is is like energy. And what we learned from the first rule of thermodynamics is that energy doesn't, doesn't, uh, dissipate, right? It just recreates in, in, in another space of time, right? The quote, uh, earth, wind, and fire, right? And so we have to really understand that, you know, like, you know, I'm, I'm reminded that in Chinese, the character for obstacle and the character for opportunity is the same character. And so people have to start looking mm. and figure out what is my opportunity to make money. Now, in the COVID period, where is my lane? Right. And right now, and that's where people are there, because people made money during this, right? right? Amazon made money during this, right? Netflix made money during this, right? 3M, which is the company that makes the surgical masks. Yes. They made money. The people who make, who make ventilators made money during this, this period. Right. And so the question is, we all have to look and say, okay, where are the opportunities to make money? What are people going to need? If you have some health, some skills around healthcare, and you could be a contract t- tracer, there's money out there to be a contract tracer, right? right? So you ain't got to stay unemployed, right? And so like people have to look and see where where the opportunities are and start moving. If you're a restaurant who really can has a model that they can they can develop as there's going to be more takeout and more delivery, then you, you, you know, you might make, make money. If you notice, there ain't no, there ain't no other than the Wendy's that they burned out in Minnesota. Ain't no other, re- no other fast food restaurants going out of business. They not even slowing down. In fact, the lines at, at, at fast food restaurants been long as hell, right? So they making money. And so I'm, I, so I'm saying that, that all of us have to look and see where the next opportunities are, where opportunities are growing and, and try to get them when we fit in. And this last point I want to make on this, on this, as the chair of the Energy and Telecommunications Committee, one of the things I've been involved in for a while is developing the clean energy economy here in the state of New York. And there are a lot of full-time jobs that are living wage with benefits in things like solar and wind and, you know, biodigestives and other types of sustainable energy. And so that be, is, has become a place that we should be looking because you're always going to need energy, right? right? So even when people are staying home, they need energy. They're going to need electricity to, you know, run their, their televisions and, and plug in their phones so they can make their next TikTok video, right? And so okay. all those things have to happen, right? <laughs> right? Is that what you be I doing in your spare time? I, 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 look, I saw you and your daughter making that yeah. video. Stop. Yeah, stop. <laughs> stop. So, but, but, that's, but that's, I 
mean, that's the thing is how we got to look at it. And when you talk about green, the green collar economy, the green collar economy is nothing but a white and a blue collar economy with green purposes, mm-hmm. right? And so you need in the green collar economy everything from accountants and lawyers to people to install um, electricians that that install um, you know solar panel, panels to people to be energy auditors, um, you know, the people who are carpenters. Like you need all types of work. And so, so people just have to do a really deep dive in analysis into where opportunity is going to be. And I'm saying the green collar economy is one of those places that people should be shifting and looking in order to um, make their way and, and make a way for our community um, as the economy changes. Thank you for that. I love that. It's, it's really having a, a futuristic lens on right now and not just focus on the present, but looking ahead and making changes in your life towards that. Um, you mentioned Minnesota just now. I'm not ready to touch that yet, but I, I do want to, um, I remembered back in 2012, you along with like five other senators showed up in Albany showing your solidarity against, uh, the unjust murder of Trayvon Martin, all wearing hoodies. Right. I remember that. Um, I, this week I was incensed by the whole Amy Cooper bullshit. Um, of her calling 911, damn near almost strangling her dog, just to make a point against Christian Cooper, who asked her to put her dog on a leash, right? I know that you sponsored a bill to protect innocent people from people like Amy Cooper. Can you, like, tell us more about that? Yes, I actually, so, I mean, you know, this is not a, this is not a new, this is not a new issue. Right. Um, the issue of weaponizing 911, the emergency service, um, reporting service against African Americans, particularly African American men, has been something that's been going on for a number of years. It got really actually heated about two years ago um, when it was just happening a, a lot. And, and we had, you know, a woman in my neighborhood, they were calling Cornerstone, Cornerstone Karen, mm-hmm. uh, who um, in my district, Called the police on like a ten year old boy yes. who she said was following her or whatever. He just there shopping his with his backpack. Yes, yeah, right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, and so it was at that moment that I actually wrote the bill that I'm still carrying um, that would allow a person who the police was called on falsely like that to um, to create what they call a private right of action, which is that they could sue the person. Um, we tried to talk, we initially talked about doing a, a like a hate crime and some criminal action and it's just not a there's not a necessarily a stomach for that here in the state legislature they're, they're very very reticent around creating new um, categories of crime um, but we did create this bill that we believe addresses the issue um, we actually passed it through the judiciary commission committee early this year it is co-sponsored in the uh, state assembly by Diana Richardson in the in the state assembly, uh, and so um, and I'm sorry, I went through the codes committee, not the judiciary committee. I apologize. I went through the codes committee earlier this year, and so it's out of committee and it's on what we call third reading. And so the, that bill could be brought to the floor any moment to be signed and passed through the Senate, and then we would need to do the same thing in the assembly. Um, and so the bill has been moving, um, and we hope that we'll get that passed this year um, to address this issue. Um, because it really has to be some recourse. People can't continue to weaponize, um, you know, nine one one against uh, the, the community with impunity. And I think that there's some larger implications, right? In, in a time in which 
you know, we're in the middle of a, of a global pandemic. There are police officers getting sick. There are, you know, um, fire, fire people and, and EMS workers getting sick. We don't have any, you know, every moment that you're spending on a false call that's not a real thing is a moment that, that these first responders uh, don't have time to go to, to calls that are actually real emergencies. Right. The second thing is that, again, the state of New York is in $15 billion worth of deficit. The city of New York is in at least $4 billion worth of deficit. And so, you know, we don't have the extra money, right? It costs money every time you, you dial that 911 system. People don't think about it, but it really does. It costs money, and it costs the city and the state money. And it's certainly a, 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 an expense that we should not be bearing um, because people, you know, want to exercise their white privilege. Mm. Um, and, and then lastly, obviously, it, it's really... You know, and this is the part that's really that people can't get past is that she actually understood what she was doing. Of course, she did. She understood that she was weaponizing nine one one, and that she was calling the cops because she wanted a penalty against a black man. Because how dare he speak to a white woman and tell her something? Hmm. How dare she? I mean, how dare he do that? And that's where she was. And that's where, where, and that's, and that is the epitome of white privilege. Wow! Right? And 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 she even knew that what she was saying was loud. And then you see the whole performance art, of course, that she goes into, right? When she's on the phone, it was absolutely disgusting. And and again, you know, I, I've seen a couple of memes that, that say this, like you know, where it's not like racism has increased; it just you know, filming has increased, right? Mm-hmm. So now we have video of it, right? And so um, you know, this could have handled. And, and let me just just give. Kudos to the brother who was cool as a fan. Um, Christian you know, Cooper. Yeah, I, I don't, I, yeah, yeah, Christian Cooper. I, I don't know if I'd have been that cool that she'd have done that to me. I don't think um, you would have either. The video would have looked like the Blair Witch Project <laughs> if, if it was me. It would have been jumping all over the place. <laughs> I don't know. I'm like, what are you talking to like that? But, so, like, I really want to give that brother some props for. That's for, the Brooklyn you know, in you. Yeah, most definitely, right? He stood his ground, but he did so. Um, you know, you know, very confidently and um, calmly, and I think that that made literally all, all the difference in in how this has turned turned out. Um, Let, let's talk about so. this in a deeper context because watching that video, she what she did to Christian Cooper, what she wanted to happen to Christian Cooper was actually what happened to George Floyd. But if you watch the video, right. if you watch the video, and you're listening to Christian talking to her and he's like yes I'm going to record there's a tremble in his voice it's almost like incredulously like I cannot believe this is actually happening to me it didn't matter that he's Harvard you know trained it doesn't matter that he's this great science editor it doesn't matter what he, that he's just out here bird watching all that mattered in that moment to her was that his skin was black and in the same week in the very same week we're dealing with Something that mirrors Eric Garner's death back in 2014 here in New York. We're seeing it happen, or we saw it happen in Minnesota. How do you feel as, you know, someone who's standing in the gap for your constituents, and also as a black man, when you see these imageries, when you see these videos, when you hear these calls, when you saw George Floyd take his last breath? It, it terrifies me um, because I look at George Floyd and I look at Christian Cooper and I said, therefore, for the grace of God, go I. Um, that any day 
um, that could be me. And there may not even be anybody there to video it. I mean, I, mean, I think about this. I drive uh, back and forth from Albany to New York, to, you know, back to Brooklyn, um, you know, once or twice a week. Um, I mean, that could happen between me and the state trooper, right? Um, and, and, and there may not be anybody there. Like, I'm in the middle of nowhere a lot of times, right, driving. Right. Um, and so it's, it's, it's terrifying. I, I, am, I am more, though, scared for a lot of the young, young men I see in the community in particular. Not, not that I'm less concerned for the women, but particularly the young men because, you know, they're, you know, they're, 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 you know, they're, they're young warriors and, they're, and they're, they're, they're prideful and, you know, and many of them have not been trained um, on how to engage a police encounter. Mm. And I see in a lot of these videos mistakes that young men are making every day um, with dealing with the police. Um, and, and not that they're not right on the principle, because they're frankly right on the principle. Um, but, you know, you know, there's, you know, there's a few cops, and, and, you know, and let's be very clear, especially in the context of, of the city of New York, right? This, the, the, the numbers of cops that are involved in these institutes, these, these, these um, incidents, is really statistically insignificant, I mean, to be honest with you. Right? I mean, there's over 30,000 police officers in the city of New York. The vast majority of them are doing the right thing. Right, and you get a you know a couple hundred, um, if that, around the city who are knuckleheads and and are racist or overzealous or, or or acting out of character and outside of their training, and and then it it, it becomes a, a major problem, and and then so and then if you're a young man who you know doesn't know how to, to deal with this stuff, now you're on the wrong you know side of that of those kind of situations, and so um, I'm thankful. Um, that we have a mayor who I believe is on our side and, you know, stands up and, and addresses these issues right away. I'm certainly thankful for uh, Eric Gonzalez, our, our Brooklyn DA, and Darcel Clark, DA in the Bronx. We now have um, Linda Katz in Queens, um, all of which are, are people who have been elected by our community and understand the issues that we're dealing with in our community. And, of course, we have our Attorney General, Letitia James, and I think that has been part of the solution. And not that we haven't had some instances in, in New York, but they haven't, in recent, blown up because we've had a mayor and, and, and DAs and other prosecutors who have immediately stood up against um, bad behavior by the police. And, and, and that's been a difficult thing. There's been a, a, a significant um, source of courage by those folks to stand up against a system um, that is not meant to punish the police. And use that system to say them to say to them that they cannot abuse regular people um, just because you're having a bad day or because you think that's what you want to be doing. Um, and I think that um, you know, oftentimes, Jay, people talk about um, the disparate uh, treatment of of whites versus blacks in in law enforcement, and people will say like, "Oh, you know, here's a, a group of African Americans." Who they think are not wearing masks, they're not socially distanced, and they beat them, and here's some white people and they're handing out masks. The fundamental problem is not that behavior, I believe. The fundamental problem in our community is that we're under police. And I think that's what people get angry at. It's not that the police over police us, it's that they under police us. Being beaten is abuse, that's not over policing. Being abused doesn't mean that you're getting good policing, that just means you're being abused. What the problem is, is if, God forbid, there's a, a violent crime against you, or, you know, you know, we know every day there's rapes, robberies, burglaries in our communities, and the cops don't even look for the people. 
Our cars get broken in two days, steal our, our stuff, and nobody helps us. That's what people are pissed off at. And it's like, now on top of that, you're not going to help me with the crime and not do your job, and then you're going to whip my ass on top of it. I think another like, like, another issue from from just you know a a person out here that has no political affiliations is that a lot of us are angry at police that don't police police. You know, I'm watching this video of George Floyd on the ground with a knee on his neck, and there are police officers standing by. Standing there watching it. Yep. Okay. And his knee is on his neck long enough for this man to basically die and 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 that video was so telling because they knew he was dead but yet they put him on a gurney (laughs) into an ems van knowing fully well they couldn't put him in a body bag because right then and there they would have to admit that they really did kill him right that's what we're angry about we're not just angry about you know cops killing us we are definitely angry about that but we're really really upset about the cops that are there so that see this and don't check like, you know, all right, let's just pick him up and put him in the in the van. You're just going to stand right. by and push people away. That's I am in grief because of that. I literally woke up this morning Kevin, and I was like, Senator Parker. <laughs> and, I, and I was literally like, I was bawling. I was wailing. I was crying because I have friends. I have, you know, like it. it my my brothers, my my tribe, my people, you know, you're on the front line. There are people I love, care about, people that I don't even know, but they're my people, they're my tribe, and this is what we're dealing with. It is hard, and you don't even have to be on the street. You could be right. sitting in your home playing video games with your little nephew. You could be at home with your boyfriend and cops just shoot up your place, the wrong place. Mm-hmm. We're going through a lot. So, from from your point of view, from where you stand, like, you know, you just mentioned just now about young men. A lot of young men have a lot of pride and they still don't know how to interact with the cops, right? But there are a lot of young men that, that have changed their, let's just say, their style of dress. I've seen a whole, a whole movement with young black men wearing a lot, a, a lot more suits now. Right. Just so they won't be wearing hoodies and be judged from what they're wearing as a gang member, right? Or or problematic. So they trust change their their style of dress to reflect how they want to be uh, approached and dealt with, right? Okay, you're wearing a suit, you must be intelligent, right? I've seen men like really change their whole approach to how they do things just so that they would not be prejudged. And yet they still get murdered. Like what do we do? And this is this is one of the reasons why I wanted to have you on the show. Mm-hmm. You're, you're here making policy and, and helping us make changes from a governmental yeah. level, but from a personal level, you are one of our brothers. What do we do? Like, how do we really act? What he, you know, how do we act to not get killed? Because he, he his hands was behind his back. He was on the floor. He couldn't move. He still he still dies. So what do we do? We're frustrated. We're angry. We're upset. We're we're tired. Well, I think the first thing to do is really understand and look back on our history. You know, you know, um, African people have been around through a lot of things. We've gone through the colonization of Africa. Uh, you know, 
the transatlantic slave trade, uh, you know, uh, you know, enslavement here in the New World, jury uh, segregation, Jim Crow, you know, um, civil rights movement. You know, we've been through um, a lot of things. We don't want to go through it no lot. more, though, Senator Parker. I, I, I got it. I got it. But what I'm saying is that we survived through those things. We survived through those things by leaning on each other, leaning on our, our culture, leaning on our history. And people have to understand that if you're going to fight against these things, that there's a way to do it. And part of it is around being organized, hmm. right? And I think that what we've seen the last couple of days in Minnesota, frankly, isn't the path to get what you really want. But we really have to be, and I'm not saying it's not about demonstrating, but rioting is a whole different thing. And But we have to organize ourselves, right? Like I'm a big student of Sophie Carmichael, right, who was with the Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee, right? Mm-hmm. And um, what, they, what he used to say all the time, was that black people have, you know, he's a trinity, by the way, so I know you appreciate that. Of course I know this. <laughs> so, so, AKA um, call me too, Ray. <laughs> <laughs> right, so, so you know, one of the things that, that Brother Stokely Carmichael used to say all the time was that um, black people are organized, but our, but our organizations aren't organized. You know, we have organizations, but our organizations aren't mm-hmm. organized. So we have to organize ourselves, right? And we really have to create strategies about how we, we do this. And, I, and, and being I got from the phone, I'm going to call the name of another of another trinity who a lot of people don't know, Baird Rustin, right? And there's a brother, Baird Rustin, who was the major, he was the major tactician of the civil rights movement, right? He worked with um, the SCLC, the, 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 um, uh, the Southern Leadership um, Christian Conference, right? And he worked with King and develop a lot of the strategies by which we you know they move. Where do you go? How do you how do you say? Who do you talk to? What what things you take up? There really needs to be a lot of a lot of real strategy and and real coordination between organizations like you know Black Lives Matter and you know um, National Action Network, Arc of Justice here in Brooklyn, um, the NAACP, the Urban League, right? But also with elected officials. Right. right, like you know, and I know a lot of people who run all of the organizations I I I've mentioned. I'm a member of some of them, and but we we don't really get together on any kind of um, irregular basis and say, okay, what's the plan this year for how we advance um, civil rights? What's the plan for how New York State takes the next step um, that's important for uh, for African Americans? Right, and and so that kind of planning needs to happen. Um, on a regional level, on a city level, right? You know, New York needs to have that conversation. Newark needs to have that conversation. Boston, Philly, right? You know, Minnesota obviously needs to have it. Chicago, and and we're we're people on the inside and people on the outside are having some some dialogue, and we may not agree on everything, but we need to do do come up with some kind of, of agreed agenda that we push, um, and we help each other, right? Um, and, and, and we make sure that, that there is um, a real response. I think that we've done that on some level, electorally. We haven't done it um, more broadly than that um, on enough issues. And I, I think as, as, as well as we're doing in New York, and again, we're far from perfect, but as well as we're doing in New York, we, could be, we should be and could be um, a lot further along. Um, it is an election year. Uh... What do you say to the people who are 
on the fence right now about this year's presidential election and especially in DC during mm-hmm. COVID, right? Like what what do you say to them? Well people need to be involved in the political process. I'm not telling you who to vote for, but you definitely need to vote. Um and I think that, you know, people need to understand politics as not just a event, but they need to understand it as a process. Right? The time to be involved in in this political process was really last year, you know, September, October, November, not just, you know, June 23rd with, when the Democratic primary is happening and you show up, you know, for election day or you show up to do early voting or you cast your absentee ballot um, for, for your candidate of your choice. Um, you really need to be involved in it. And when I say that, I mean on the grassroots level. And so, you know, what, the, what really, if you want to change things and we want to see things different, Jay, if you live in an apartment building, you need to belong to your to your tenant association. Right. If you live in a house, you need to belong to a block association or a civic association. Right. If there isn't a tenant association, you need to start one. If there isn't a block association, you need to start one. If you go to a church, a mosque, a temple, then you need to be involved in one of the ministries. If you live anywhere there's an NAACP, you need to join the NAACP or the Urban League or, it's, you know, be active with the, with the Arc of Justice or you know, the National Action Network. You need to be organized. I mean, politics is a numbers game. And when I say politics, I don't mean just necessarily electoral politics. Because any time that you're moving, trying to use uh, your, you know, use your, your a group uh, to gain influence, that's politics, right? Mm-hmm. And so even when you're protesting, that's politics, right? And we just need to do a better job at being engaged in it and not just being reactive, right? Let me just say, you know, black folks are the best at being reactive. You kill one of our people, we're going to be out in the street. Don't, don't get me wrong. But our right? civic but, but, That's right. But if we were being engaged prior to now, right. George, George Floyd, George Floyd, really the blood of George Floyd is on our hands because we failed to organize our oh. community in such a way, oh. in such a way, in such a way that they knew that something like that couldn't happen. And that doesn't that doesn't happen to other communities. Why? Because they know there will be hell to pay. They know there will be hell to pay. You oh. know, and, and, and no matter what they do, you know, if you do that to another group, you know, those groups will make will will, will create consequences and repercussions for you. Do, you know, treating them like that. For us, you may or may not. In fact, Black Life has been cheap, right? Which is why the whole name of of, of the movement has become Black Lives Matter. But the reality is that black life is cheap. And we haven't done enough because we haven't had enough coordination between ourselves, right? Um, and I've said it to, to the folks at Black Lives Matter a bunch of times. Come see me. Let's talk about what you're doing and what we're doing and how we, how we help each other advance certain things. So, like, for instance, I just talked about that bill, um, that 911 bill. When I first put that bill in, I had a violation in there. I had it as a much more significant penalty for calling 911 on us. I had to get it down. Why? Because I don't have the support of people out in the street to support it, to make it be what it needs to be. And so I got to take what they're giving me, right? And I'd rather see, I'm not going to let the perfect be the enemy of the good, and so I'm going to take what I can get in this this, uh, legislative context. But if if I had a real, you know, coordinated relationship and partnership you know, as I should with Black Lives Matter. It's not like I don't know know those women, but just not really interested in, in, in working on that level. And I'm just saying, until we start, and, and that's when people talking about, we got to get together, we got to unify. That's the kind of unification that we got to see. 
right? It's not about, you know, everybody thinking the same way or dressing the same way or speaking the same way. It's really about, you know, you don't need uniformity. Unity, unity is not based on uniformity. Unif- you know, unity is based on cooperation and mutual respect and understanding. And that's what we're missing right now, um, even at the top, right? And so you can't get it on the bottom if you don't have it at the top. Right, you, you know, the fish, just, the fish rise from the head. You just gave us a lot. I mean, when so <clears throat> I, I had to, I, it hit my heart when you said George Floyd's blood was on our hands because I wanted to respond, but I needed to have you finish your thought. And that was a very deeply cutting statement but I'm happy that you finished your thoughts so we can as a group as a collective think about those words um wow and and I'm hearing how difficult it is for you as a black legislator to get certain things done to help us because you don't have our support and that hurts me too so how can we support your efforts like Tell us, because you've given us a little, quite a few calls to actions mm-hmm. so far. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I, again, I think that, you know, um, when you see a piece of legislation that you like or you think that it's important or, or you want it to be a certain way, you got to contact your local legislators. And um, it's a lot easier than people, people think. The vast majority of us are on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter, and you can send us messages. Even though we don't reply, we see, we see everything. I have to tell you, like, people see everything. They may not reply to everything. But they see everything. So, so and, basically, and you want us to call you when we see these these, right. these things happening beforehand, and not call you when one of us is dead. That's right. That's right. That's right. That's right. Wow. We need to organize. We need to organize ahead of time. We need to organize ahead of time. Whoa, that you was know? heavy, Senator. That was heavy, yeah. and and I hope I, I that was a rebuff, and I hope that we take that to heart and know that we were just like you literally just chastised us. But it was out of love. And it is. I, all of us. Yeah. And, and, I, and I frankly haven't probably done enough either. Because, again, you know, I don't think there's enough coordination. And all the organizations that I mentioned, I know the leaders of every single one of them. And, and the fact that that doesn't, you know, if I'm feeling that way and I literally have personal relationships with all these folks, you know, it's just not happening the way we need, we need it to happen. And, and for me, I'm using kind of this moment to rededicate myself to do do things in a way that I think they need to be done, even from my from my perspective. So we're getting ready to wrap up, but there's still some things I, I, I want to talk to you about, and and it's under the umbrella of grief, because um, that's really what pushed me to get you on the phone today. And I'm so thankful. Thank you, thank you, thank you to your team for making this happen today. I know you had a really busy day, so thank you for for being on the show. Um, I know your, your your dad passed first, and then your you know, your mom passed away. I, I was present mm-hmm. at her funeral. You know, you've had friends that passed away recently. You you've been to many funerals in your constituency. You know, we're dealing with grief. How do you? How do you, with all the work that you're doing, standing in the gap? For over three hundred thousand people in your district, how do you deal with grief? I think that you know, for me, I find I do two things. Right there, there are moments in which I, I, 
I avoid it, right? Where I like bury myself in the in my work. Thank you for saying um, that. Yeah, and, and it's and I'm gonna keep it funky. Like I, a lot of times, I'm I'm doing that and not confronting it. And, but there are moments in which I try to take some time and and just try to be still um, with it and try to to, to work through it. Um, you know, you know this a little bit about me, um, but I'm, I'm a person of faith. Yeah. And and so I pray a lot. Um, I don't meditate as much as people have been telling me I need to, and, and that's something I'm working on. But I definitely, you know, I pray a lot and and have, um, uh, I think, a, a good communication with the Creator and, and with my ancestors and, and you know, and I, I think that that's, that's helped me pull it through. But then, um, but, they, but there's always also people who you, have, who you can, you can be vulnerable with. And, um, to a certain degree, that's my family. And, um, as crazy as some people are, and I mean crazy in a, in a loving way. <laughs> we all have them. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but, um, I, I, I say that in a loving way, but it's crazy they are. Like they, they keep me grounded because um, we don't care if you're a senator. You're Kevin. That's okay. right. That's right. That's right. That's right. They, they, my title means nothing to them. They, you know, um, and and I have a number of very close friends, um, and even during, during the um, the pan, you know, during this pandemic moment, um, I've gotten tons of calls. Um, from friends just checking on me, just being like, hey, you know, you know, are you okay? Right. You know, I know you're doing a lot or whatever, da, 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 are you okay? You know, what's going on with you and people who like, you know, you know, let's not talk about what's happening in the world, let's talk about what's happening with you. you. Are you okay? Right. Yeah, and so that's, that's, um, you know, I lost a, a, a close friend of mine who I went to high school with and, and I think, you know, I just spent a few hours talking to people who were in our same circle. He was, you know, he passed away of COVID and there's a bit of us just, you know, talking and I just tell you that that, that has meant a lot, uh, a, a lot to me. Um, I have a little crew of friends who uh, I travel with, you know, we go to Martha's Vineyard together, you know, we've done a Zoom call together, we were, you know, on a group chat together and, and I think you know, connecting with folks, again, who are friends, you know, family, who can keep you grounded, people you can be vulnerable with, people who know who you are outside of your representative, right? Because we all have a representative, right? Um, but outside of your representative, outside of the strong face that you may put up, um, having people who you can be vulnerable with and you can talk to, talk through, to talk things through with um, has meant the world for me and has given me the strength to wake up um, even on the days I haven't wanted to wake up and, and get up and, and get my day started. And so um, that's, that's, that's how I've done it. Thank you for that. Well, not done it. <laughs> no, I appreciate that. And I appreciate you just being vulnerable in this moment to trust us enough to bear your soul. And, and this is why we need to be very civically engaged, to have people that represent us, people that we trust. I appreciate you for saying that and for telling us and, you know, sharing a bit of your soul with us. Well, thank you. Thank um, give us some books. Recommend some books before you, you, you get up out of here. Like, what, what books 
do you think our young people and 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 our older folks should be really should have in their arsenal like they definitely should read this will change your your whole mental view on life and put you into gear and action to be more engaged and not reactive well i think let me um you know you know my other life i'm an african studies professor right and so like books are my specialty um the, one of the books i tell people to read is the autobiography of malcolm x as told to Alec Kelly and i just think it's a amazing book of transformation i think that you know more than anything else that struck me about the book and i've read it like three or four times is the is the is the transformation that Malcolm X goes through from being Malcolm Little to Malcolm X, right? Well, Malcolm, you know, from being Malcolm Little to becoming, you know, Big Red to being Malcolm X, right? Mm-hmm. And and and, I, and and to being, um, you know, a Muslim. For some reason, right now, I cannot call his uh, his Arabic name, but um, after he made Hajj, he he transformed even more. Right and elevated even more, and so I just think that book is really good because I think it teaches people that you are not who you start out being. Right, like you've known me for a little while now, and I'm not the same person I was that you when you met me. And thank God, and I was okay with that person, um, but I I feel like I've grown a lot since since that moment. Right, um, and so I, so that I think that that book is really really good. Now my favorite. My favorite genre, I'm an, an escape person, and so my favorite genre of book is um, black science fiction. And my favorite writer is a woman named Octavia Butler. <laughs> and my favorite book by Octavia Butler is Parables. the first one I ever read, okay. which was called Par- Parable of the Sower. <laughs> did you see me post that book recently or something? <laughs> no, did you post it? Yes, I did. <laughs> Parable of the Sower, and, 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 and Parable of the Sower actually speaks to this moment. A futuristic book, like, oh my gosh. It, yes. Yeah, it speaks to this moment. So it's one of my favorite books from my favorite author. Um, you know, Parable of Sower is an amazing book. Um, and uh, and I, I just recommend, you know, for me, if you're going to read one book, that's the book you, you read. Like, it's just, it's an amazing book. Right. And um, I've just learned um, uh, a lot from it. And there's a book that's kind of in my head, and in I've been talking about it a lot. Say it again. In, in where? Where? In your, in your head? I'm sorry. I needed that sound bite. I wasn't even thinking about that when I said it. Um, but it's a book I've been talking about a lot for like the last two or three weeks um, that I'm going to recommend. And again, this is the Africana Studies professor and me. And it's called The Destruction of Black Civilization by Chancellor Williams. And... Um, you know, my father used to tell me all the time when I was younger that how do you know where you're going if you don't know where you've been? Mm-hmm. Right? How do you know where you're going if you don't know where you've been? And if you don't know where you're going, any road to take there. Right. Right? How do you know where you're going if you don't know where you've been? And if you don't know where you're going, any road to take you there. And so a lot of that has been about the notion of Sankofa. Right? Mm-hmm. So some people may be familiar with the, with the, the Akan iconography of the bird with his head turned around okay. backwards it literally means go fetch, right? That notion of, of know who you are, right? And if you're grounded in who you are, uh, if you're grounded in the greatness of, of who your people are, then there's, there's one, no, no, no heights that you can't achieve. 
And I just feel like that book is like, you know, people always like, you know, like, you know, sometimes we get into these conversations and it's like, you know, African people were kings and queens and so on and so forth, blah, 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 blah. But the question is what happened to us? Mm-hmm. If we were kings and queens and we had our own dynasties and all this other stuff, what happened to us? Chancellor Williams begins the conversation of, of, of understanding of the historical destruction of black civilization. And I think that that's a really important um, uh, thing for people to know. And so... Uh, I recommend that book, Destruction of Black Civilization by Chancellor Williams. Thank you for that. And thank you for reminding us to go back and fetch it. Go back and fetch what we, what we forgot. Go back and remind mm-hmm. ourselves. Go back and learn our history. You know, like, like read some books. Like, I think that's, this is a perfect time to be reading as opposed to be, you know, having so much media consumption, watching traumatic yeah, videos on Instagram or TV or Tiger King or some nonsense, but (laughs) (laughs) Senator Parker, I appreciate you so very much. Thank you for on a very short notice agreeing to do this. Is there anyone you want to shout out real quickly before you go? Oh, wow. Um, I really want to shout out, um, not, not just saying this just to say it, but really, um, all the nurses that I know, um, I know, a, you know, I represent a community where Brookdale's in my district, uh, downstate Kings County, a linear block outside of my district, Kingsburg Jewish Medical Center is right outside of my district, Methodist um, hospitals in my district. Um, and so I knew a tremendous amount of nurses and, and, and these mostly women, but some men have literally been fearless um, in in serving us during this pandemic. And I really wanted to take my hat. And I know it's been a lot of other people, but particularly the nurses, because the nurses are at the bedside more than anybody else. Um, I've been hearing stories, but when doctors don't even want to go into rooms, nurses still have to go into rooms right. and, 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 and serve people. I, I've known nurses who have gotten sick and a couple of, you know, they've gone back to work with COVID. They've gone back to work a week after um, some of them, you know, not done it because they weren't scared. Some of them gone gone despite being scared. If Paul being said, I'm terrified, but I gotta go back to work, mm. and and not be, they gotta go back to work because they didn't have money. Have to go back to work because they know that there's people there who need them, right. Right? and they know that they've work, been working with teams that are overworked and stressed out and and need the relief, and so they go back to work. Um, and so I just really want to shout out all the nurses um, who who've been serving us. And um, thank them and thank God for them, um, for all that they've done and all the things that they will they will do for us. Thank you so much for that. I know they will definitely appreciate your shout out. <laughs> Senator Kevin Parker, it has been a pleasure having you on the In My Head podcast. You're not even Caribbean, but you're honorary Caribbean. Yes, yes. Thank you. I appreciate it. <laughs> we look forward to talking it. to you again yes. in the future. Hopefully on absolutely. better, better, better terms, right? Absolutely, absolutely. And have yourself a wonderful evening, dear. Okay, you too. Bye, hun. Take care. Mm-hmm. Bye, bye. In my head. Don't forget, don't forget, don't forget, don't forget, don't forget to share, share, share this episode, share previous episodes, tell a friend, send it in WhatsApp, tweet it, text it. Post it on Instagram, post it on your stories, post it on Facebook, Pinterest it. I don't care. Like, Hitna, share, share, share. 
wow, this is the work that we're doing. And you know that in my head, the podcast is mental health focused. And I'm so thankful that Senator Parker came on here, not just to talk about the ills that are affecting us in society, but also to give us some call to actions and provide some resources for us to tap into. So please do that. In addition to please heed, heed his ask of getting involved in your local elections, getting involved in, in, in your community board, your school board, get involved locally, and also reach out to your, your, your elected officials and find out how you can help. How can you be of aid? Be proactive and not reactive. We need more of that. Guys, I love each and every one of you listening to the sound of my voice. Thank you so much for listening to yet another episode of In My Head.